I'm Britt Frank, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I was stuck for an intro to begin this episode, but thanks to Britt Frank, who is the guest on this episode, I'm no longer stuck because she is the author of The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. And her work focuses on empowering people to understand the inner mechanisms of their brains and bodies. We get into that. We get into the idea of uh, you know, what, a, what you would do looking at a to-do list if you're stuck. We talk about this idea of whether inertia is the only form of stuckness that there is. Uh, we get into how she constructed the book, why she constructed it the way she did. We get into a whole bunch of elements of stuckness, including the idea that, uh, you know, anxiety plays a role in it and maybe not the role that you think. Uh, I'm really happy that I had the chance to chat with Britt. We had a great conversation and I'm here to share it with you now. Here's my conversation with Britt Frank. Enjoy. Britt, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You know, it's, uh, when I saw that you were interested in being on the show and I'm like, Oh, this is a great topic. The idea of being stuck, the book, the science of stuck breaking through inertia to find your path forward. I, I have to say I was, I was really happy because that's, I think where a lot of people get, well, frankly stuck is they don't know what to do when they are stuck and they're really trying to get the most out of their, you know, out of their day, their week, their month. And, and they, they want to make sure they're doing the right thing. So I want to get kick things right off by saying, you know, is, is that paralysis of intentionality something that really can keep people in this, quote, state of stuckness? Is that one of the things that can keep people from moving forward to where they want to go? The stuck thing, whether or not you identify as someone with major mental health crises like myself, or you're just stressed or overwhelmed, everybody, I don't care who you are, has at least one area where they get stuck. And the thing to know about being stuck is as long as you have choices and resources and you're in a safe-ish enough environment, you can change it. The biggest mistake people think is that their state of stuck is a character flaw, it's an internal defect, and there's no options for moving forward. Stuck is a biological phenomena and there is a way out. That is very good news. One of the things that I think is good news too is, and as we go through the book, the hidden benefits of staying stuck. Now, now I, I did, like I told you, I got the book with, with, you know, with, with enough, enough to go through it, but not enough to get in too deep. And as soon as I saw them, I'm like, wait a minute. So someone's going to pick up this book and go, wait a minute, there's benefits. I want you to add some context to that a little bit too. Okay. So there are, are the benefits, what are those benefits or maybe which is the one that might seem to be the most hidden of all the benefits. And is it really? <laughs> <laughs> People get very angry with me when I suggests that there are reasons that we do the things that we do. And just personal disclosure, I'm a licensed psychotherapist, I'm a trauma specialist, but I'm also a recovering human, a drug addict, eating disorders, all of the things. So I've lived this stuff from both sides of the couch. And like it or not, the fact remains that all of our behaviors have benefits or we wouldn't do them. That doesn't mean they're good. They're do that doesn't mean that we should keep doing them. But to suggest that somebody, I'll use myself, with a drug addiction is getting a benefit to that, oh my goodness, clutches at pearls, how dare you? But without shaming ourselves, it's important to know that there's a cost to our behavior and there's a benefit. If you're going to do a cost-benefit analysis, you need to know that both of those columns are going to have things on them. We can all count the costs. My health is suffering. My, fin my finances are suffering. My relationships are suffering. Great. What's the benefit? 
Crickets. There are no benefits. I hate, yes, there are. Like what? Energy conservation. You, it's a lot easier not to do things than to do things. Image preservation. If you don't do things, you don't have to worry about failing the things that you're trying to do. I mean, all of the things, there are so many benefits to not doing the things we know we should do and that we want to do. So without being all in shame about it, let's just name it. If you name it, you can change it. There are benefits to even the most crazy things that we all do. Well, I mean, we hear about procrastination. People are like, oh, procrastination is bad. I'm like, not all procrastination is bad. I mean, it was funny. The uh, the other day, I was uh, we had snow in Victoria in April, which is bizarre, right? Like, it's not, I mean, you'd think, oh, it's Canada. Of course you have not, not rarely here at all. April? Come on. And people were taught, a lot of people the weekend before it snowed took their winter tires off and put their all seas, like they took some of the, and I think my wife said something on Facebook about like, you know, those that were trying to get ahead of it now maybe should have procrastinated a bit. And I, and I think someone said, yep, that's why I love procrastinating. I'm like, that would be maybe more deliberately delaying than procrastinating. So there is a spin on that, that I think is, is worth noting. But why, why do you think people get so, is it because we, uh, um, th- this pursuit of moving forward is so pervasive that this idea of staying stuck, for lack of a better term, is such a um, polarizing, uh, polarizing thought? Well, the pursuit of moving forward is a great thing to do. And we all want, you know, we didn't come to the planet to be in like a state of meh. Assuming again, you have resources and access and choices. We came here not to just be go to work, come home, feed the dog, go to sleep. And so the reason that we get stuck is largely because we are all masters at the art of self-deception. Even the word procrastination, like what does that even mean? It's just a mushy word that means you're not doing the thing you know you should do, that you wanna do, that you could be doing, but you're not. Great, the word procrastination is not in any way descriptive of what's happening in your brain when you're laying on the couch watching Bridgerton or MasterChef, this is my stuff, or whatever your jam is. So it's important to call things what they are so we can change them. Procrastination is a brain that is stuck in a state of shutdown or freeze. If you've heard of fight, flight, or freeze, your brain's stuck in freeze. But Brett, doesn't that excuse it? You know, like then we can all just lay around saying my brain is stuck in freeze. Your brain stuck in freeze is not an excuse. It is a physiological explanation. So let's use words that describe the thing so we can change the thing. The way you wrote the book too, the way you constructed it is an exercise in avoiding being stuck to a degree too. <laughs> I noticed that because I'm like, oh, so uh, can you explain how, like there's there's three different ways you say that you can go through the book. And one I'll give right out of the gate. It's just, yeah, if you want to go right through it, go ahead. But you, the way you describe it, I think is very apt. So if someone's picking up the book, um, like how would you have read this book when you if when you needed this book cuz what do they say we write with the book that we need to read mm-hmm. what would how would you which which of the three ways would you have read it and you can reveal the three ways too sure well as a avid self-described self-help book junkie. I've read plenty of books and I've read books when I've been in crisis. I've read books when I, you know, sunny skies and clear seas. And it's really important to know that when you're overwhelmed, you're not going to sit down and read a book from page one to page whatever. So I really wrote the book for if you have no time and no bandwidth and no desire or inclination to deep dive, here's how you can use this. 
skim the chapters or skip the chapters. At the end, I've summed it up for you and I've given you bullet points and very easy to implement actionable exercises. If you have some time, but you don't have a lot of time, here's a path for you to read the skip this chapter, skip that chapter, read this one, read this part of that one. And if you're a deep dive, I want to know all the things. I've got all that, you know, I've laid breadcrumbs for rabbit trails. You can deep dive. There's footnotes, there's resources. But I really wrote the book for the parts of myself that needed a faster way through the self-help world. It's sort of like a Cliff's Notes guide to self-help if you're not, you know, if you're short on time. And if you want the deep dive, it's available, but you can use it, choose your own adventure. That's perfect. That's perfect. And, and you know, you, when you go through the book, Brene Brown's co- name comes up uh, on, on at least one occasion, I think mm-hmm. a few more, especially some of the work, the idea of anxiety comes up. And I've been watching her uh, new HBO Max special, you know, where it's a series where they talk about the Atlas of the Heart. She goes through anxiety and, and uh, overwhelm and stress. And, and it, it's funny because ang- she brings up that anxiety is something that, you know, it's important. Like it, like we knowing, knowing these, and, and I think we, we run into this issue of trying to, um, analyze, like mm-hmm. get, we, we, we lean logic, right? We lean logical, right? Which is, I think, I mean, one of the things that I talk about with my work is there's like this idea of ruthless productivity, this idea of reckless productivity, and then there's this reasoned productivity. Well, ruthless is often too logical. Like I'm, I'm going to do it because it's here and da, 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 and then they burn out, right? Reckless is they lean too far the other way with too much emotion. Well, what do I feel like doing? Oh, well, I'm just going to do it. Like there's no method to it. So then all of a sudden they're like, how the hell did I get here? Like, oops, uh, you know, and they can lead to another level of, of overwhelm or, or, you know, again, it, there's other side effects to that, but reasoned reason to me is like, uh, if we could hit reason with, cause we can never be perfectly balanced between logic and emotion. That's not the way. And, and she, what does she say? What's the quote um, uh, that she she actually has a quote that she shares that someone else said, which is we are, we are not thinking beings that feel, I think it is. We are feeling beings that think, I think, or something like that. Um, and I butchered that, but you bring up anxiety. She brings up anxiety and anxiety is, is something that I think people try to um, shove down, push away. Like, you know, I, I have to, what role does anxiety have in this idea of being stuck? And, and how do we, do we lean into it? Like, how yeah. does that work? I, and caveat, I don't like feeling anxious at all. Feeling anxious is an awful feeling. It's terrible. And here's the big ands. Anxiety is the check engine light on your mind's dashboard. I don't like it when my smoke alarm goes off in my house, and I don't like it when my check engine light comes on in my car. But the light is not the problem. The light is an indication that there is a problem. If we did not have anxiety, as awful, as uncomfortable, as unpleasant, it may be. Without anxiety, our lives will not work. How will you ever know if a relationship is off the rails or if you're taking on a job that's not quite the right fit, or if your child is up to something nefarious. We need anxiety as an indicator light to know whether or not we are aligned with our own integrity and our own sense of value, or if an actual danger or a threat is coming. Without anxiety, we're all running through the streets and touching hot stoves and cutting ourselves on sharp knives. As unpleasant as it is, we do ourselves a great disservice when we try to medicate away. Like, I could disable my check engine light because it's a when it comes on. That does not fix the problem. That does not name the problem. And eventually my car is going to break down. So rather than thinking of anxiety as the problem, 
and the mental health world calls it a disease. It's not a disease. It's a reasonable physiological response to our environment. doesn't mean it's good or that you should stay there. But you cannot disable anxiety any more than you can disable a smoke alarm and hope that everything goes okay. We need it. We need to learn what it is, how to work with it, and what its function is. Anxiety is a very unpleasant friend that we very much need in our lives. Um, one thing that I was thinking about as, as I was going through the book was I couldn't help but think about journaling. Like when I'm stuck, journaling seems to be a tool that works for me. Um, and anyone who's listened to this show before knows that I'm a big proponent of, of, of journaling, especially in the evening. Like I'm just, I just love wrapping up my day with, you know, closing down those thoughts, um, and closing down the day. Uh, you may not be able to think your way through this stuff, I think, because I think that that I know I I run into problems when I try to overthink because I think it's just it's like quicksand, right? You know what I mean? Like I feel like when I'm stuck, if I try to overthink it, uh, I feel like you know, even though we've never encountered quicksand, <laughs> never encountered it. Remember, <laughs> I've seen the memes too. We talked about memes before we record, like the memes of like. Um, I, I watched during my whole childhood, I watched shows preparing for the inevitable time where I would come across quicksand <laughs> yet it never happened. Um, but I do, I feel like when I try to think through it, like it just sinks me deeper into it, but journaling seems to be a way out for me or at least a way th- through. Um, what about, what do you say? What, what are your thoughts on that? And I love journaling. I'm actually a first thing in the morning journaler. So we actually, you know, thought work, mind work, using logic, using tools like journaling and thinking about our thoughts and writing down our thoughts. It's all useful. However, you can't always think your way through because we have this entire thing from here from our nose down to our feet called a body. And inside of our body are things that do not respond to logic or reason. So sometimes journaling can get you unstuck, but sometimes your body needs to move. For me, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, I'm not journaling. I'm taking a walk and listening to nothing because I've been speaking all day and hearing words all day. So sometimes you need a hug. Sometimes you need a walk. Sometimes you need to smell the flowers. Sometimes you're hungry and you need to eat food. It's so important to know everything has its place. But sometimes you need a thinking solution. And if that doesn't work, you need a body-based solution. In the therapy world, we call the thinking stuff top-down, working with the brain with cognition. The body stuff we call bottom-up, working with the senses, working with the nervous system, working with physical movement and things like exercise or creating something or chopping something or eating something. We need both. When we forget that we have bodies attached to our heads, we end up getting stuck and then forgetting that we have this whole other system that's not subject to logic or reason. We need both. Yeah. And it's funny. I go for a walk. I mean, I just came back from a run before doing this, uh, having this conversation with you. And I find that movement, I tend to go for a walk every day too. Just, and that's mostly to get the thoughts going. Like it's it, it very rarely. So the, the stuckness of when I'm in my writing, I've actually been reading some interesting books on writing and I've been, practicing the idea of just going for the walk and letting the thoughts flow without capturing them every mm. single time, which is totally counter to what I, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that says capture everything, regret nothing, but it's been an interesting exercise. Um, I want to ask you uh, in a very particular situation, let's look at the particular scenario. So the person listening to this right now is looking at their to-do list and they see this 53 tasks and they immediately feel stuck without knowing anything about this person, just knowing that they got 53 things and they're looking at this list and they go, uh, what, what, 
what kind of stuckness is that? And is there something that they, what, what's one thing do you, that you think, and I mean, again, you give offer a few that they could do to go, okay, I need to, I need to get the flywheel spinning a bit. Mm-hmm. And I love that example because certainly we've all been there. And I like doing the simplest intervention possible. Not everybody needs to be on psych meds in therapy every week doing psychoanalysis. So if you have 53 things on your to-do list, again, assuming that everything else in your environment is relatively safe enough and functional enough, what I would say is your brain is not programmed or wired to be able to ingest 53 things and not go into a state of overwhelm. If you look at a list of 53 things, your brain is going to either go, ah, and you're going to feel anxious, or it's going to go, meh, and you're going to feel numb and shut down. So if you have a to-do list of 53 things, get out a post-it note and pick three that you're going to do, put the three on the post-it note, Put the 53 away or the other 50 away in a drawer and just look at the three because I can look at a list of three things and go, I got that. I can do that. I will look at a list of 53 things and immediately say, nope, TV, snacks. Yeah. I don't want to. So make it smaller. It doesn't mean you're excusing the other 50 things. It means if you want to get out of immobility, start by working with the brain's design, which is bite-sized pieces of information that you can tackle. Once you get three things done, then you get a little, oh, I did it, which is a little hit of dopamine. And that little hit of dopamine will give you some energy to go do another three things and then another. So break it down and only see, I have like my master task list and then I have my daily task list and then I have my, here are my three things to do just now. And I have to break it down like that or I won't do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that stuckness to me also shows up like, and I'm, I'm going to sidebar a bit here is because you mentioned inertia, but sometimes stuckness is you're going, but then you, you're kind of stuck in the going in the moving. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're not, you're like, wait a minute. Like, and you can't stop. Like mm-hmm. you feel like it's just, it's this constant, this perpetual motion machine and you're caught up in it. And to me that, that, I mean, as much as that sounds like maybe it's, I mean, it's someone's like, well, wait a minute, no, you're not stuck. You're moving, you're doing things. You're still a state. So can we talk a little bit about yes. that and what that's like? Cause I think that's a very creepy, hidden, sinister kind of stuck mm-hmm. that most people don't recognize. I think you're the first person to ask me about that on one of these things. This is a really important thing to know. And we call it workaholism. And we pat it on the head and we say, a girl, a boy. Well done. Look at you. You're so productive. The problem with that is, you know, if you're going to be honest, if you're in motion all the time, it's because at some level, there's a part of you that's afraid what will catch up with you if you slow down to let it. Whether that's the realization that your relationship's not working, whether that's the realization that your kids are not awesome in this present moment, whether it's the realization that you hate your job. If I can go fast as, you know, as fast as I possibly can, which is the opposite of inertia, but it's still a state of stuck because you're going too fast to actually enjoy and experience your life. So if you're going too fast, that's your brain stuck in flight. So if we're talking fight, flight, and freeze, procrastination and immobility is a state of freeze. Going and going and going and going and going is a state of flight. So we have to figure out what are you afraid will happen? What's coming to eat you? What's coming out of the woods to get you if you slow down? Let's make it okay that you slow down. Otherwise, you won't. I do not know one person who's in go mode all the time who isn't terrified of what's waiting for them if they slow down even a beat. Yeah, that's uh, 
I've, I've come across that a few times. And, and again, I think the thing that's helped me is just, yeah, the pause, which is weird because again, you think, well, wait a minute, but that's like a version of like inertia, but not really to me. It's, it's not, it's just like, I need to be mindful and thoughtful about it. And, and this comes back to like, you talk about this idea of how to human in the, in the book. And I think we get, I think we live in a world where, where the demands on us are rather inhumane and we treat ourselves and our to-do list and our calendars in the same way, instead of being humane about them, because we're, again, we're human beings. Like, so can we, can we dive into this idea of, you know, how to, how to human a bit? Because I think that (laughs) we might've forgotten this or at least lost sight of it uh, to a degree. Well, I've never been taught it properly, and kids are not taught how to human. They are now. It's changing now a little bit. Mm -hmm. But emotional literacy, understanding how thoughts and feelings work to create things, understanding that you have a nervous system, that you have a brain that has a fight-flight-freeze mechanism. We need to, in order to human effectively, successfully, and in a way that works for us, we need to know how we're designed. It would be like getting into a car and not knowing how to drive, yet we all walk around in these bodies having no idea where the gas pedal is, where the gas tank is, what that indicator light means. It's very much the same thing. So if you want a human, let's start with you're a biological organism and you're going to respond to your environment. I know you want to be Superman. I'm so sorry that you're human, but you are, which means you have a central nervous system, which means certain things are going to happen if you push yourself too hard. Certain things are going to happen if you lie to yourself about what's happening inside your head or in your relationships or whatever. So how do human starts with, okay, I recognize that I am a human being. I am a biological organism. I don't like it, but I have a brain and my brain is not always logical. There's a whole nother area of my vehicle that I'm driving that I need to know how to work with. Otherwise, I'm going to keep crashing. Energy management. We hear a lot about, and expectation management. These are two areas I'd like to get into a bit as we get close to the end of our conversation. But these are areas that when we associate with time and productivity and stress, all these things, task management, um, we lose we lose sight of things like attention, energy, expectation. They're a bit softer. Um, is if we get stuck between those. So again, this idea of because I think because time is very much an objective thing, right? Like it's we were we were to meet at this time, and this is how this operates. But energy is not. So for example, I'm a night owl, not a morning person. So I, you know, if I'm expected to be somewhere at 9 a.m., I'm going to be very different than how I would be at 2 p.m., right? Um, Again, when it comes to task management, you and I could both be working on the same task, but our level of expertise will will affect the outcome of it and will also affect how quickly we can do it with confidence and, and, and competency, and then this idea of again, um, you know, expectations. Well, that all that all goes hand in hand with those things. So I think there's this qualitative element that gets lost for someone who's stuck in between that. They they realize this, and I think as we get older, we kind of realize this that we maybe oh, I should be more concerned about my attention and my energy and managing expectations than say time and 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 tasks and things like that. There's got to be some balance there. How do we move? using the idea of the the science of stuck from this place of time and task and, and, and project management, like this very objective stuff to something that's still a bit more subjective, but still allows us to kind of operate in the world at large, because I think that's where, that's where we're hesitant, right? That's I think where we get stuck, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we do, we get stuck. There's so many places that we can get stuck. And it's just like running a business. You have to do inventory regularly or a- any business that fails to do inventory will no longer be a business very quickly. And we are not taught periodically to check in with every area of our lives, finances, family, friends, sex, our relationship with food and our bodies, all of these hobbies, spirituality, go through every major area of your life and do an inventory on a one to 10. How's it working? If you have a lot of ones, a lot of areas that are not working, great. Now let's break that area down to what are some things that you can do that you're willing, here's the caveat, that you're willing to do. If your finances are a mess and you're not willing to do anything about it, fine. Let's not spin on that. Maybe you're willing to do something over in your physical fitness. So let's start with, let's see the entire board because you're not going to be able to make any moves effectively if you're not seeing the whole game board. Do an inventory of every single area. Get really freaking honest with yourself about these areas. And then let's start with the easy wins. Where can you, we, we minimize our easy wins. We're so quick to invalidate what's easy for us. Just because something might take me 20 minutes that might take you an hour, that doesn't invalidate, like devalue it and vice versa. So let's start with what are you good at? What are you effective at quickly? Can you get a few wins under your belt? Great, check, bank them. Once you have that dopamine hit from doing things that you can do, now you will have the energy to focus on the tasks in the areas that you're struggling with. So really think of it like a giant chessboard. What do you say to the person who struggles with communicating the fact to others that they're stuck? Because I think that that ego plays a role. I know I've done that. I know that I've been somebody who's been like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, but I'm really stuck. Yeah. And ego and, um, you know, this idea of, of ar- arrogance to a degree, mm-hmm. which you all fall prey to, uh, I don't want to let people know I'm stuck because sure. then, then I'm less than, then I'm this. What's your advice to someone who, who struggles with that um, or, you know, recognizes that it can be something that they're challenged by? So, and I say this with a great deal of compassion for someone in that state, because I've been there. How's that working for you? Great. You're fine. You're okay. How's it working? Like just from a purely functional standpoint, if it's working for you to be fine and okay and everything's great and I'm good. Okay, cool. I'm not here to tell you otherwise. You know, there's 50 other things over here I could do, but how's that working for you? And again, this comes down to this. Am I going to be really honest with myself about these areas that I'm taking inventory in? You're not okay. So What I'll say to that person is, one, how's that working for you? And two, no shame. I've been there. And when you're ready to not be okay, there's plenty of things waiting to help you on the side of the street. So we're all waiting. So come on over whenever you're ready. And you know what? I've noticed I've gotten better at it because I've noticed once I've said this, I number one, I'm not alone. Like you just said, I'm not alone. And number two, that vulnerability, being vulnerable, because that's that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You become more genuine. You become more human. You become people, you know, uh, there's, and it creates a connection that I think is, is a, is, you know, is lacking when you kind of, you know, put it there. And, and I mean, it's, it's, and, and I think for me, the biggest thing when I've admitted that I've been stuck is I had to admit it to people who I really trusted. Mm-hmm. Like I had to be, you know, um, and when I did, I was like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. In fact, it was much better than what it was before. So that was, that was the thing. That was one of the, the, you know, kind of the epiphanies that I had around that. And I've gotten better at it now. And I've opened that circle of trust up a bit more. And I'm, 
I'm getting to the point where it's like I'm willing to admit when A, I don't know something, or B, I'm stuck. Which, And I think those two things go hand in hand. Absolutely. And it's like you said, it's really hard to be vulnerable to other people. But what's the alternative? So the first question is, how's that working for you? The second question is, what's your alternative? If you don't want to risk having safe people know your stuff, you're going to stay miserable and unhappy and stuck and spinning your wheels and trapped in park. So the, the myth is that there's an easy way out of this humaning thing. Sorry, you have two choices. Do the work of vulnerability, puke as much as it may be, and move forward or avoid the work and feel like crap. One's a guaranteed path to feeling icky. The other one is scary and risky, but it's almost guaranteed if you find the right people, you're going to get moving. So I say, what's your alternative? It's it As we go through the, the, the book, one thing that you've done, and I already illustrated that you kind of orchestrated and constructed the book in a way to keep people, or at least motiv- not motivate, because there's a whole thing on motivation that when you, get, when you reel the book, you got to read that part. But um, there are exercises. There are, and I'm going to use exercises as, but but there's 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 some work to do. Mm-hmm. There's some. Was was that something that you felt was integral to the book? Like, did you have to fight to get that in there, or was it something that was always part of what was going to be part of the book? Because I know sometimes when I've read books. The, the the combination of like the book and then the workbook kind of element to it, uh, often it can be like, well, this should be the book and then we do a workbook. But um, Daniel Coyle has this in his book, like he, he which we, we just interviewed him. I'll link back to the show notes, his book, The Culture Playbook. Like there, it's integrated into it. And this was done in the same way. So was this something that you felt, A, was important enough that you had to fight for? Or was it always something that was like, hey, this was going to be part of the, the landscape of the book no matter what? I was very intentional in putting exercises in the book and quick ones. As much as I love theory and I love analysis and I will gladly do a multi-hundred-page workbook, I wrote this book for people who just want to get out of park into drive and hit the road and let's start going. So every exercise in the book is like five to 10 minutes. You don't need any equipment. You don't need to get a special journal. You don't need to get a vision board out. It's stuff that you can do very, very quickly. So I didn't have to fight to get in there. Um, It was very much of if you want to get unstuck, here's just enough theory so you know that this is a thing. Here's just a bare bones explanation of what's happening. And here's some very quick tools that you can use. That way you don't have to get another book. That way you're not going back and forth between, and workbooks are great, but if you're talking about, I want to just get moving, you don't need to flip through another book. Just flip to the end of the chapter and here are five things you can do very quickly. And the book is called The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. Britt, thanks so much for joining me on on the show today. Where can people pick up the book and where can people keep up with you? Thank you so much. So you can find the book wherever books are sold. And I spend inordinate amounts of time on Instagram. And it's just my name at Brit Frank, where I will be, quote, procrastinating from time to time. Deliberately delaying. Deliberately <laughs> delaying. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Britt, thanks for having a productive conversation with me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Britt for joining me for this conversation. You can check out all of the show notes over at productivityist.com slash podcast 437. And uh, next week, I'm happy to bring an episode from The Vault, one that I have been looking forward to revisiting, not necessarily just for the conversation with Jill Blumenstock, but also I think it's time for me to get another reading from Jill. But more on that next time. Uh, by the way, if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do, uh, well, there's two best things you can do. 
Don't get stuck on that either. The first best thing is to subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss a single episode, including next week's episode. And also you have access to our archives quickly and easily. But the other best way to support the show is by supporting the sponsors that you heard on this program today. That way they know you heard them from us and then we can keep the lights on, or in this case, the speakers on, I guess. Go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to check out all of the sponsors that you heard on this episode. That's it for this time around. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you, stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.